Welcome back to season three of Energetically You. I'm your host, Megan Swan, a wellness coach and consultant, founder of Megan Swan Wellness and the Sustainable Integrated Wellness Approach. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. Dr. Molly Malouf is passionate about extending health span through her medical practice, personal brand, entrepreneurial, and educational endeavors. She is passionate about optimizing health through food, technology, and psychedelics. She provides personalized medicine to world-class entrepreneurs, investors, and execs. Since 2012, she has worked as an advisor or consultant for over 50 companies in the digital health, consumer health, and biotech industries. She has been an educator since medical school and pioneered a course on HealthSpan for three years at Stanford University. She is publishing a book out very, very soon in 2023 on biohacking for women with Harper Wave Books. The title is The Spark Factor, Supercharge Your Batteries for Limitless Energy and a Fitter, Stronger, More Resilient Future. She is the founder of Adamo Bioscience, a company that aims to reveal how the science of love can unlock the capacity for healing, connection, and creation within everyone. We are taking a platform approach, she says, by creating a variety of products and services that increase and enhance love within and between individuals. So exciting. I can't wait to ask her all about that. So let's dive in. Welcome, Molly. I'm so excited for this conversation and deeply enjoying reading your book. So let's dive in. How are you this morning? I am great. I am uh, just juggling a lot and enjoying life and feeling really inspired um, and motivated and just feeling really fortunate right now. So yeah. Amazing. Well, can you paint the picture a little bit uh, of how you became sort of, well, let's just say how you became burnt out even in medical school before becoming a doctor and how that made you rethink the system? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, medical school is really hard and a lot of people do not totally get it until you get there. And you're just like, this is nonstop fire hose of data that you have to absorb. And, um, I found myself halfway through med school being like, maybe I should quit. I don't know if I can do this. I'm pretty unhappy. So I went to a psychologist and they were like, well, you're not actually, um, depressed or anxious. You're just stressed out and you don't take care of yourself. And I was like, okay, so it's on me. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) More than on me, you know, uh, I was like, great to know that I thought I was just going to take, you know, uh, maybe medication. Uh, And instead they, they said, you need to work on your lifestyle. And so I started studying evidence-based lifestyle medicine and my performance dramatically improved and my health improved and my test scores improved. And I went from having really debilitating test anxiety to being really good at test taking. And as a result, I just discovered that, you know, lifestyle changes can really transform, you know, you're not only your health, but also how you do, how you performance in your life. So mm-hmm. I got really interested in evidence-based lifestyle medicine and I designed, I designed a course called physician heal thyself evidence-based lifestyle. And it was, um, 
added to the curriculum at my school. And I brought all these lectures in and I've always been interested in education. Um, and it was really cool to be, you know, a student actually designing a course on lifestyle and then it becoming a, a lecture series. And that ended up becoming um, part of the curriculum. And I ended up getting some humanitarian awards for it, which was really neat. But then, you know, I uh, got to residency and it was really, 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 really challenging, more so than I'd ever anticipated. And I ended up um, getting my license and getting my um, get basically starting my own medical practice and not finishing my residency, but really going the functional medicine path, which a lot of doctors are doing today. They're going through like a year of the residency and then they're starting in functional medicine. Um, and I really used my practice as a lab for like figuring out how do you measure and amplify health. And so that was really my main mission is like, how do you do this? And how do we, how do we create this, um, you know, this, this type of practice? Um, and the pandemic was actually particularly interesting because I definitely got pretty darn close to being fully burned out. And apparently 65% of doctors right now are burned out. So, you know, the thing about burnout that sucks is that it creeps up on you Mm -hmm. and you just think you're doing fine until you aren't. And I had had some challenges on the year during the pandemic. I had a concussion, um, which threw off my hormones and really kind of did a number on my health. But really the beauty of what health, like really true health is about is the ability to bounce back after getting hit with a major stressor. And so um, I would definitely say that the last few years have aged me a little bit, but I feel like I still bounce back faster than the average person. And to me, that's a bigger indicator of health than anything else. And I'm really interested in health span, quality of life for longer, just as much as I'm interested in um, in lifespan. So that's really my story. It's like really been about how do we create a life for ourselves that's about human flourishing and about fun and enjoyment, and also not being obsessed with longevity, but really focusing on quality of life for longer. Mm, I love that. Can you sort of unpack for us how you personally balance or sit between sort of two very strong dogmas, if you will, you still are deeply in the medical and you deeply in science. And at the same time, you're pushing back to some degree and questioning some of the logic. I just think that medicine is missing the caring piece of it. You know, there's health care and people are forgetting about the part that's about caring and turns out that really positive bedside manner and really having a good experience with your practitioner is healing in itself. And it, it's likely through people don't realize this, but like the placebo response is actually works for a reason. And Dispenza wrote a great book on it called you are the placebo. And it's really outlines all of the science behind the placebo, but we don't use it enough in modern medicine. We don't use it enough in our families and our lives, their friends, and just caring about people helps heal. And I think it's one of those things that's being kind of lost by a system that's just really becoming a sickness billing industrial complex. And of course, we want the system to produce good, smart doctors, but we also want it to produce doctors that care about people. Um, So I'm really interested in human connection and how connection amplifies health and helps helps people survive and thrive in the midst of adversity. Yeah, I love how you round out your book with that. And I do want to dive in that a little bit more, but before, can we talk about biohacking and how you define it first off. I mean, when I first got into biohacking, one of my um, bosses at the time was like, you don't really want to be known as a biohacker because biohackers are people who like 
have to go around systems to get things done. But actually, you know, getting a lot of labs done and it does require you to go around the system. Like I have to order things through cash pay, uh, through a website called Avexia Diagnostics in order to do lots of labs on my clients. And it costs around $300 to $400 to run my full panel. But if we were to bill insurance, it's a very big question if they were to pay for it. So I'm using the system to gather information about people to optimize their health. And it's about using medical technology to avoid disease, not just diagnose it. And it's not necessarily saying that we're preventing or treating or diagnosing disease by doing by using these lab markers, but it's actually trying to evaluate the functional status of your organ systems just to understand how they're doing, how they're functioning. Is anything going wrong? And to me, that's that's what that's what I would call scientific biohacking, which is a little bit different than just traditional biohacking, which is like a consumer going out and trying to use different technologies to hack their health. I mean, you really see a lot of biohacking in type one diabetics. They um, are often hacking blood sugar monitors and insulin pumps and doing all sorts of stuff that's totally not considered modern mainstream medicine. But, um, you know, I think that biohacking can be part of medicine. I think doctors can play a role in helping their patients use labs to understand their health, to optimize the nutrition and to improve their fitness and to reduce their stress and to change their, um, you know, different, different, different types of habits. Yeah. Similar things are happening in, in Canada. I'm Canadian that they've stopped the system no longer pays for, for example, to get your vitamin B measured or something, something that's not essential. And I love that uh, example that you talk about that. It's such a simple thing. Like why aren't we testing these things before it's a red flag to understand, um, you know, the baseline. And yeah. I'm curious, is the origin of biohacking athletics? Like athletes have probably been doing this. Oh, sure. Yeah. Performance enhancement in in athletics has been a thing for a long time. And I guess you could call it biohacking. I mean, they basically have teams of people who manage their nutrition, manage their fitness, manage their stress, manage their sleep. And so there's quite a lot of people who um, work with athletes in order to tune their performance so that their bodies function optimally. Um, my clientele tend to be the corporate athletes, the um, executives or investors who want optimal health and they just want to get into great shape. Um, my practice is really all about, you know, basically trying to help people get the best out of their um, bodies and their minds. And I, I definitely work with a lot of knowledge workers. So people want brain health. Um, some of the things that I'm working on right now are things like neurofeedback. I'm taking high dose lion's mane, three grams a day. It's pretty amazing. Um, I'm doing that? lion's mane is a mushroom. Okay. It's a proper mushroom extract that I get from a company called Malama mushrooms. And I'm just a big, big fan of, um, you know, using, you know, my using different technologies to fix things that are not working pr- properly for me. So my memory has been a little bit like I, I pulled my my Instagram recently and 75% of my followers said that their memory was impaired somewhere, somewhere between 70 and 75%. And I noticed myself and it turns out that a lot of social isolation impairs memory. So um, I've been really working on hacking my memory with things like CDB choline and lion's mane and, um, and just different technologies like neurofeedback and fitness just to really improve my brain function because I I'm, I'm a knowledge worker at the end of the day. Mm. I love how you uh, 
divide out performance in terms of brain health and then physical performance as well. Yeah. Give us some specifics um, for women on energy and what maybe you're doing or what you're recommending to clients. Well, I think it's really important for women to understand their cycles, to understand that there's no, it's normal to have shifts in energy throughout the month. So you Mm -hmm. might start out at the beginning of the month feeling really energized and really powerful. And then you hit your ovulation. You're like, whoa, I can tell I'm ovulating. And then you start hitting your luteal phase and you just start noticing that you're more inwardly oriented. And then when you hit your period, you're just like, okay, I just want to chill for a couple of days. And, um, and then by the end of your period, typically your energy starts coming back. You start getting more um, active. And this is just this natural cycle that we go through. And in fact, now natural cycles and aura ring have a FDA approved birth control, which is, um, non-hormonal, which is pretty cool. Um, and I'm going to start, I'm actually going to start using natural cycles instead of clue because I'm really stoked about their, um, their approval process. But basically women need to understand that like, we have a biological imperative to reproduce, whether we have kids or not, like our bodies want us to do that. And so we have this hormonal system that's designed to get us pregnant, right? So whether we're getting pregnant or not, we have the system that's operating in this manner. So when women get really stressed out, we also have this imperative to keep the tribe alive. I mean, like women were responsible for keeping the communities fed and alive and men were, you know, basically designed to help protect primitive communities and go off and find food for the communities. And so um, I think it's really interesting that women and men, when they biohack, you know, if you, if you add too much intensity to your exercise combined with too much ketosis combined with too much fasting, women will just shut down and their hormones will become completely dis- disordered. Their thyroid will go, will get too low. Their, um, their estrogen will go too low. Their, their bodies will just start prioritizing survival over reproduction. And men, on the other hand, they start doing keto and fasting and exercise and they just get ripped, ripped and lean. And literally do they end up with, um, I've only seen it in one case and one bodybuilder who was doing too much low carb eating and doing too much weightlifting. And he ended up messing up testosterone. But most of the time men do really well with a lot of these intense biohacks. And it's like, I saw it in my practice where women were not getting the same results and they were getting issues. They were having issues with their, with their, um, with their bodies their hormones. And I think it's because we're designed differently, you know, like we have a different biological imperative and men, you know, it's as much as I want to believe that we're the same, we're not like, we definitely have a lot. We can definitely achieve more than we realize as women, but we actually do have to be careful about our energy levels and about burnout. And I've had to learn this the hard way multiple times in my life. So I'm just, I mean, part of the reason I wrote this book is I was like, gosh, like here I am trying to be a female biohacker and I'm not getting the same results as guys. And I've, and I, I had to have to be more gentle with my body. And so do women, uh, other women, like mm-hmm. I, um, I have, I was doing a lot of, um, intense weightlifting in the morning and I got my, I got my cortisol test back because I was noticing I was waking up feeling a little bit on edge. And so I ran my Dutch test and I saw my cortisol was high in the morning and I was like, all right, time for yoga, time for more restorative exercise. Time for more, you know, low, low intensity cardio, more, less, less heavy lifting for a little while. You know, I, I lifted a lot of heavy weights for a few months. I was under a lot of stress and now I'm, um, I'm going back into lighter weights, more restorative exercise, more stretching, more yoga, just giving my body a few months to recover. 
and doing more sauna and cold plunge. If I wanted a little bit of cold plunge, maybe like a minute instead of three minutes. And just looking at my body as a, as an opportunity to adapt to the demands and recognizing that data helps drive better decisions. So, um, you know, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a heart rate, heart rate variability monitor. I'm looking at my heart rate variability in real time. I'm like asking myself, are you breathing deep? Are you using your belly to breathe? And I'm just like really becoming more in tune with my body as I monitor things, because I have put myself under an enormous amount of stress this year. I'm trying to write a book and launch a company and see patients <laughs> been a lot. And, and you have to be aware that there are limitations to your physiology. And at the same time, I have a lot of cool biohacks. Some of them didn't make it into the book because they were experimental and I wanted to wait until I had full feedback, but I recently did NAD plus IVs and IV and um, nutritional, like, um, like niacin pushes for a week. And I did like five IVs and five niacin um, magnesium pushes and I'm not kidding you. I feel so much more energy. I feel so much more youthful. I'm so excited about this new like discovery. And it was very, it was, it, I discovered it after I wrote the book. So I didn't want to put it in the book, but I'm like telling every podcast I'm on, like, this is so awesome <laughs> because it's like, you know, I had COVID a few weeks ago and COVID really, and, and viral infections can really affect your, your blood sugar me- metabolism because they actually throw off your homeostasis. Mm. And this was a, not a fun bout of COVID for me. So I am now starting a peptide therapy called Ozempic just because of the in- improvements it, it has on blood sugar. And I've seen that a few of my patients go through Ozempic treatment and it's, and they've, they've basically seen their blood sugars remarkably improved. So like there's things like this that are kind of more medical grade biohacks mm-hmm. that are more in the regenerative medicine space but I'm slowly but surely getting really interested in regenerative medicine because I think there's so much exciting stuff coming out of it. And it, in a lot of ways, regenerative medicine is biohacking. Um, and I go to experts. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a regenerative medicine expert yet, but I'm definitely, I definitely go to experts to learn. And then, um, and then I implement what I learned into my practice. Hmm. So many threads I want to pull in there. Um, one, I completely agree with you and have personally found over the last year and a half that doing less is actually more effective. Like I think there's a certain amount of discipline and intensity that's maybe required before you're at some sort of baseline of health and wellness. But then those of us that are already in a really good place, if we maintain that intensity, it just, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I was curious, um, everything, well, maybe not everything, but let's the last one that you mentioned that you're excited about, that's something that you would do like under medical supervision, you would do for a certain amount of time, because I feel like a lot of people, you know, start get latched onto an biohacking idea. And then they just do that till like for the rest of time. And I'm guessing most of these things have a very specific strategy. It's not like something you're supposed to be taking for the rest of your life. Uh, that it's very nuanced. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm only doing Ozempic for two months <clears throat> and I'm going to be monitoring my blood sugar with the Abbott Freestyle Libre that I got from Levels Health. I'm an advisor there. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been, an obs- I mean, <clears throat> I've been really obsessed with blood sugar for a long time, but um, it's one of those things where even I take the thing off for a few months and I stop caring and I'm just like, oh yeah, I've got my, I've got, I've got a handle on this. And then you slowly start eating things, you know, you that are not good for you. Like, 
oh, I'll just have one tostada. No big deal. Meanwhile, it's a fried thick piece of corn and my body does not tolerate corn. (laughs) And I see this massive blood sugar spike and I'm like, okay, now I know corn is not my friend. And I start tracking the things that I know are not optimal for me. And it takes practice and iterative practice to remember and to like really solidify, like, this is not the right food for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just takes, takes lots of practice, you know? Um, But like, yeah, some of these things need to be consistent. Some of these things you put on here and there, and you just start getting reminders. And then some of these things are in, in, in full on for recovery. You know, I used ozone therapy during COVID and I think it did make a difference because immediately my body aches went away. My fatigue was still there, but my body aches certainly, certainly improved, which was awesome. Um, so I bought some ozone and I'm going to start doing, you know, rectal and vaginal ozone just because I'm a believer now. Like I, I felt a, an immediate shift in my body and I want to implement these things that can help me maintain a, a healthier body that are somewhat experimental, but like, I want to have access to that. And if I get sick again, you know? Um, and it's really about, again, adapting and self-managing the face of adversity and COVID is adversity. So there aren't a lot of good mainstream options. And I had some clients who were using these antivirals that were approved by the FDA and they were, they had all sorts of side effects from them. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, I think you have to figure out what works for you and also figure out what are you willing to experiment with? Um, I'm far more experimental than the average doctor. It does you know, make some people, some people are like, oh, you know, Dr. Molly, like, I'm not sure if she's always scientifically backed, but the truth is, is a lot of stuff I'm doing is very cutting edge and it's just new science. And so there isn't as much of it as, you know, drug development science, because there's not as much money going to a lot of these more obscure biohacks. But I have friends that I consider to be world-class biohackers that come to, that teach me what they do. And I'm always trying on new things, seeing if it fits, And I think that's really the way you should approach biohacking is like, where are you in your lifespan? Where are you? How comfortable are you with new science? How comfortable are you with experimenting with your body? Well, how safe is it? Like is, is ozone safe? Pretty darn safe. I mean, it's been used for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Is our peptide safe? I mean, they're pretty new. So if you're really nervous, like I would maybe wait a few years before, because, because these things are pretty, they're just recently approved by the FDA. Um, but like hyperbaric oxygen, that's been around for a long time. That is not new. Fasting, very, very old. Um, yet you need to understand if it's right for your body. And like, for example, in the book, I outline all these reasons why you wouldn't fast. Before I even talk about fasting, we talk about all the reasons why fasting might not be right for you. Um, lots of women have eating disorders. If you have an active eating disorder, definitely would not be recommending fasting. If you've had multiple bouts of an eating disorder and you feel like it might set it off, got to be careful. Um, if you're orthorexic, fasting might induce more orthorexia. On the other hand, if you're going through perimenopause and you're finding you're gaining weight, fasting mimicking diet might really help you. Um, in some of my female clients, it's been game changing for them maintaining their weight. Um and, you know, if I wouldn't have started fasting, I don't think I would have fixed my insulin resistance. So I don't have to do as much fasting anymore, but I still like to fast at least 12 to 14 hours on average, 12 hours minimum, um, almost every night because you need to give yourself a break from, from food. So, um, yeah, and, and it really like if you're young and healthy in your twenties, you have blood, great blood sugar metabolism, you don't need to fast. And if you're pregnant or nursing, definitely not recommended. So thinking about where you are in your life and not just adopting health practices because someone online tells you it's great, 
but really looking into, is it right for me in this age, in this, and in my, in, the, in my state of health, somebody who has polycystic ovarian disorder, is going to do a lot better with, with carbohydrate restriction than someone who um, has already a healthy, healthy metabolism. Like one of my girlfriends who is super lean and she thrives on carbs and like cutting carbs in her health doesn't make any sense because she's just constantly bouncing off the walls with energy. Um, me on the other hand, I do better with more of an ancestral diet and I, I love eating low carb. It's what works for me. Mm. I really love that you point all that out because part of my philosophy that there is no one size fits all wellness. And I think that that's something that really people need to understand that it requires a little bit of trial and error to figure out what exactly works for you. Uh, I wanted to circle back and ask you a little bit about um, infertility. You'd mentioned fasting, probably not ideal when you're trying to get pregnant. And I specifically that, you know, as women, we're supposed to have a certain percentage of body fat to be optimally ovulating. Can you comment on that? Yeah. Um, I have like a very simple way to describe like, and it's, it's almost like an overgeneralization, but like, if you are under eating and underweight, you're kind of like an underripe banana, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you're an underripe fruit, underripe piece of fruit. It's not sweet enough to actually bear, to be able to like produce the reason why fruits ripen is that carbohydrate feeds the growing seed. And so you actually need enough nutrition in order to grow a baby. And so if you're underweight and undernourished, your body is being sent the signals that there's not enough nutrition to feed a child. And that will put you into a state of less likely to produce a child, less likely to be fertile. On the other hand, if you're overfed, if you're insulin resistant, if there's too much sugar in your body, like in polycystic ovarian disorder, it's like you literally have overripened follicles and you have too many follicles that are overripened. So in that situation, you want to peel back the carbohydrate. You want to like give yourself a break from as many carbs you want to eat. You want to almost like, I look at fasting and ketosis is like, it, it literally can age you in reverse if you have glucose regulation problems. So like two biggest levers for people with really hard, like really bad blood sugar metabolism is just cutting out the refined carbohydrates and sugar and cutting out the extra refined vegetable oils and um, hydrogenated oils, trans fats, and just cutting out the the things that we know are contributing the most to metabolic dysfunction and doing some time-restricted eating and, and like kind of reversing that ripening, you know, reducing that blood sugar. So I look at the, it's like two ends. You, you kind of want to be somewhere in the middle of these. You don't want to be underripe. You don't want to be overripe. You want to be just right. So it's, it's like, and the person who's, who's like got, you know, too little eggs, they're under eating, they're too skinny, they're not enough body fat, they need more carbohydrates, they need to gain weight. Fastest way to gain weight is to eat more carbs. So it's really simple. I mean, it really is a simple way to approach the problem. But a lot of women, I mean, there's also a lot more fertility than just nutrition. There's mm-hmm. phthalates in our diet, in our life. I just have, I just have my, my um, blood checked for phthalates and I have phthalates in my blood. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shit, maybe it's because I've been getting my nails done. Like I started getting my nails done. I haven't been getting my nails done in years. And I'm like, pretty sure this is why I have phthalates in my, in my, and like, I'm going to stop getting my nails done, which is fine. I'm going to go back to Glulons, which is totally cool. And they work. They, they destroy everything, destroys your nails anyway. So like, <laughs> I'm like in the process of trying to figure out, oh man, what's the best press on that I can find instead of going to the, going to get these nails. I mean, I really liked getting them done, but like they are, you know, you're, you're filling your body with toxins. So 
you know, Did you see micro- that article in the Guardian about find that they found microplastics now in, in breast milk for the first time. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, you know, if you're eating packaged processed foods and, and bottled water regularly, you're getting a lot of microplastics in your food. Also, there's a really cool company called Oryx Salt, O-R-Y-X, and they have these salt shakers that are made of ceramic because turns out that plastic salt shakers are also cutting microplastics into your food. Mm. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Great to know that now. <laughs> I guess I'll be less annoyed the fact I just use like a, a teaspoon out of the bag, but I, it's a whole, it's a whole other thing, salt and it's trendiness and how I understand it's really not all that different. The, the yeah. Himalayan pink versus all the things. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to circle back to, I love the way, I believe it was in your introduction that you talked about essentially women having this biological need to create things. Yeah. They're not having babies. So maybe we can talk about that for a little bit and then loop back to, you know, how you're working about with love specifically in your company. Um, and I think it's such well, an interesting mission. That you're I want to make one. Yeah, sure. I want to make two things clear first for one is that I'm not even sure I'm going to have children or not. Like there's a, there's a chance that I will, but I'm totally good with or without kids. Like, I will not die an unhappy woman if I don't have children, but I also like making companies, right? Mm -hmm. So like I, some women, you're birthing things, they birth creative projects, they birth paintings, they birth buildings. They are like architects or, and they're like entrepreneurs. I think women just have this deep desire to create. And I do believe that maternity is so valuable and so wonderful. And I wouldn't be the woman I am if it wasn't for my mother. Like I have the most amazing mom and it was her job to be a, to be a mom and being a mom is one of the most important and valuable jobs in the world. So I really don't want to discount motherhood at all, but I also don't want all the women who are reading my book thinking I'm writing a book. That's like having kids is like the ultimate, you know, um, manifestation of your, of your purpose. I really think that we're just meant to create, like we're, we all have energy of creation within us and we have this incredible capacity to create life. And we have these rhythms of existence through our hormones that connect us to nature, that makes us really in tune with the world around us if we listen. And that's really what the book is about. It's about using your natural intuition and your natural like internal compass to, to live more in harmony with your energy and, and ideally to like create a movement where women don't have to live like men do, where we can actually follow our cycles. Um, I now really look at my... Um, my periods. And I try not to schedule too many things around them because I need to make sure that my body is in alignment with my highest health. And so it's taken me a year of like really writing this book and practicing all this to really hit it home that like, I sometimes over schedule myself, you know, in ways that are not healthy for my, for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us about the company that you're birthing. Sure. Um, my name, my name is, you know, Dr. Molly. And it's funny because I started a company that is actually studying psychedelic assisted therapy for sexual dysfunction. That's trauma informed. And the reason why I started this company was about 10 years ago, I was, um, with a partner using MDMA in a sexual context. And I didn't, realize it until after the fact, but it, it accidentally healed three different sexual dysfunctions that I had 
that were due to trauma. So I had poor lubrication, hypoactive arousal um, as a result of my body being in a state of threat. And then I wouldn't have good sex because it was very painful. So I had what would be called dyspareunia. Um, and then I, I wouldn't orgasm with a man because I was in so much pain and it was caused swelling. And so as a result, I really had bad sex throughout most of my twenties. And then I used MDMA with a partner in a sexual context and it basically eliminated these problems. And I was like, what the heck happened? And years later, I didn't really think about this for a long, for a long time. I just was like, wow, that was a miracle. But then years later, the psychedelic revolution started happening. The the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies started and they started commercializing MDMA for sexual dysfunction or for um, PTSD. So Mm -hmm. I looked up the definition of PTSD and I said, well, shit, did I have PTSD? And I didn't have PTSD. I did. I had sexual dysfunction. So I started doing research, trying to figure out what happened. And I realized that first of all, sexual trauma is the leading cause of PTSD, but only 30% of women with sexual trauma develop PTSD. 60 to 80% of them develop sexual dysfunction. So I realized there was this major problem mm-hmm. space that didn't have any good solutions aside from talk therapy. And in particular, what I've discovered in my research is that cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness-based therapies are really good therapies for sex, hypoactive desire because they lower sexual, they lower distress associated with sexual dysfunction. Give you mind-blowing sex just average, like they, they, they return you back to baseline of what normal people have. Um, and on top of that, these therapies, um, are not really great for sexual pain disorders. And so I was looking at what maps was doing with PTSD and I'm looking at sexual pain and I'm like, wow, this is a big population. This is somewhere between eight and 20% of women. And it turns out that if you ask women, like what can, can constitutes good sex, most of the time what they'll tell you is it doesn't hurt like good sex just doesn't hurt. So I really think that sexual pain is a really, really unfortunate condition that nobody should have to go through. Having gone through it myself, it really just, it really just made sex particularly not fun to have. And I, I I really think that sex is a beautiful experience of life and really it should be seen as making love. And so part of what my company is doing is literally designing protocols to teach people how to make love and to how to heal from trauma that impacts sexual function using a therapeutic paradigm that basically combines trauma therapy with relationship therapy, with sex therapy, and then a psychedelic um, therapy session with a partner, which is not observed, which is you and your partner go through a sexual experience under the influence of a psychedelic that helps reprogram the sexual memory as safe instead of unsafe. And then integration through the frameworks of attachment and internal family systems. So it's a really comprehensive therapy we're designing. It's really ideally for people who struggle with the biggest drivers of sexual dysfunction, which is relationship problems, mood disorders, and sexual trauma. And these are, um, and there's also organic causes of sexual dysfunction, but um, we're really targeting the ones that are more psychological and psychogenic in, in nature. Um, because they just don't have, you know, some of them just, some of them just don't have good solutions. Wow. So I feel like I know the subject of your next book because you very briefly in this one touch on, on this subject. And I appreciated how you mentioned that, you know, it's often 
more important or very important to understand your own body personally first before you're trying to um, better your your sexual relationships with with a partner. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's just very exciting everything you're talking about here. Thank you. I mean, it's going to take a while for this to be ready for prime time, but um, we're going to start running a study and we're going to start evaluating different um, medicines, probably starting with ketamine and then eventually, hopefully MDMA. And um, I think there's going to be different medicines for different individuals, depending on what their core you know, needs are. Um, psilocybin is a great medicine for neuroticism which is a big problem for people who are raised in Christian and religious, highly religious upbringings. It can actually, it's associated with increased lasting openness and personality shifts. So I think that there's an opportunity to examine different medicines for different conditions. Um, we have patented a medicine that we believe is, is a great alternative to MDMA, but it's going to be difficult to commercialize in America, but it is a, um, it is a, a great great tool the toolbox so we're just going to be starting the research and um and running these studies wow it's so exciting everything that you do is so inspiring and it's been uh such a pleasure getting to know you better yeah we'll definitely share all the links all the things in the show notes is there any sort of like uh last thought you want to leave us off with molly um i mean definitely pre-order or purchase my book if you're listening to this um, find me on Instagram at drmolly.co. Find my at my website is www.drmolly.co. Um, and you know, I'd love to keep in touch with anyone. And if anyone wants to learn more about my company, we'll be launching our new website soon. It's Adamo Bioscience, A D A M O B I O S C I E N C E, and that's where we go. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you again, and I so appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I would be really appreciative if you feel so called to to support the show by either subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform, leaving us a review, and passing this episode or another favorite episode on to a friend. I hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Sending you my love. 